often do you prepare for, respond to, and recover from disasters? How often do you consider threats like cybersecurity, wildfires, earthquakes, or mass casualty events? This is Hometown Ready, an all-hazards emergency management podcast brought to you from the Springfield Green County Office of Emergency Management. We aim to educate, entertain, and spark discussions about all things public safety. So settle in and let's discuss how your community can be hometown ready. Hello, I am Aubrey Johnson, and this is the Hometown Ready Podcast. This week, we have our logistics specialist, Kenny Norris, and we have our IT communications guru, Brandon Backlund. We also have the new addition to the planning team, Gretchen Ruffa, who will be going through her first special event season. One thing our agency has become known for is event planning and communications. With a regional communications asset housed within our organization, we have responded and assisted with a variety of event types, both disastrous and non. With special event season moving closer, we are getting closer to our event planning component, where we assist or fully supply plans for large-scale incidents. With special event season moving in, we are getting closer to our event planning component where we assist or fully supply plans for large-scale events. Gentlemen, Gretchen, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourselves. So, uh, my name is Brandon Backlund. I've been the uh, comms guru here for uh, starting on my third year now, and before this, I had my own IT business in Taney County, and uh, before that, I also, my family also uh, ran a small local packaged ice industry in downtown Branson. You may have seen the blue bags going down there on your vacation. Very cool. So. Um, I'm Kenny Norris. I'm the logistics specialist here. I've been logistics specialist a little over a year now. Before that, I was over at MSU with their campus uh, security, and then before that, I was in college at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University studying Homeland Security. My name is Gretchen Rufa, and I've been here for about six weeks now as a city-county planner, and before this, I went to Drury University and graduated in December. Very nice. I don't have to say nice to meet you all because I work with you, but... I will say this is a pretty good group to go over this. Gretchen's never been through a special event season. Kenny's been through one. Brennan's been through two. So, as I said, today is the, or the topic is special events. Tell us a little bit about your perspective on preparing for special events. As far as uh, from a comms perspective, the, of course, it's the it's in the position title name comms. You got to make sure everybody has and understands the established flow of communication, as well as uh, set up all the technology oriented to that communication, which basically usually breaks down to uh, putting uh, what public radio talk groups are in 
are being used for the event in the event plan, as well as verifying and setting up the dispatch station for easy operation. Just to be a little bit less technical, Brandon, explain some of that and dumb it down to my level. Okay. Basically, uh, just make sure all the technology is set up to where people can talk without having to think about it. Boom. I like that. I can understand <laughs> that part. So, And going off of that, Brandon, with like setting up Skylab would be on my part, which is our communications vehicle, making sure that we can um, have that opportunity to dispatch and be able to talk to everyone. So that usually comes in with when planning, starting to set up their stuff and their meetings on if we're going to need Skylab or not. And then usually about the week before, we'll actually put Skylab out in the field and set it up and do some test runs with it. You said it three or four times there, but not everybody probably knows what that is. So tell me a little bit about Skylab. So Skylab is our regional command vehicle, which has all of our radio so we can actually dispatch out in the field. It's about 10 years old now, maybe a little bit older but Brandon's actually been updating a lot of the radio software and stuff on it and adding some new radios as we're getting them in. And from the planning side, it's my job to write and update plans for these events and have pretty much everything mapped out and especially things that could potentially go wrong. We need to have contingency plans for those. For example, with the Ozark Empire Fair, we have contingency plans for if a child were to go missing. So you're referring to the reunification plan. So we have something in place for if a child's missing, somebody can reach out on Brandon's communication wavelengths and help that child find their family. That's right. Okay. Knowing that this will be your first season and staring at a 80-page document... Does that look uh, a little bit stressful to you? It does seem to be daunting, but a lot of the plan has already been written, and we just update it, or I update it, each year with new information about the people who will be there as opposed to the people who were there last year, or any new organizations that we need to bring in as well. So as our director often alludes to, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So you basically can steal small components from previous plans, stuff that we've already written, and you're not trying to reinvent the wheel. I don't necessarily care much for the term stealing others' information, but it is helpful to go back and refer to what others have written. Borrowing. Borrowing. I, I, I see that. Collaboration. <laughs> Collaboration from afar. I mean, just adding on to that with Gretchen, like even we look at from the logistics side of the after action report or the AAR, all right, what can we do better for next year's uh, next mm-hmm. year's event? Then, so for instance, we'll look at, do we need more tables? Do we need a better facility? Um, one of the things that happened at the Ozark Empire Fair is Skylab's electrical system got damaged, so we had to have a backup. Uh, we were running off with just our generator power, making sure that we had all the supplies needed for then. So having those extra contingency plans do help a lot. 
Right. And those after action reports are hugely helpful in going back. And since I wasn't here, I didn't know how it went last year or what went wrong last year. So it's really nice to have those after action reports to give me kind of a basis of what did happen and what could potentially happen again. Another thing we do is in the planning process, and this will be something that you have to tackle, Gretchen, is the writing of the multitude of forms that we have. I know from being the CERT director, we have, we integrate CERT. And so I have to fill out an ICS 204 form and I talk about what they're going to be doing, safety mechanisms for them, and point of contacts. Have you had a chance to look into any of that? Yes, I have gotten a chance to look at all the forms, and there are quite a few, and it's one of the more seemingly daunting tasks with the event action plan is defining all the roles for each organization in within each time period between employees and when there's supposed to be taken over by somebody else. There is quite a bit to it, and I can speak to it myself. I know you haven't been through it, but these gentlemen over here have, and the meetings on meetings of talking about who is going to be doing what, it it can be quite extensive, can it, gentlemen? Oh, it's, can, it can be pretty awful at times sitting through those meetings, because sometimes it we need to be there for the information and know what's going on, but sometimes it doesn't really relate to us at the moment. But I mean, most of some of Brandon and I's stuff won't come in until like the 11th hour of when mm-hmm. people are needing stuff. They're like, oh, now we need 10 extra cash radios because now we have these volunteers coming in. Or, hey, who has a 20-foot extension cord? So now we're scrambling to find something. I know that it's going to be very informative on your end. It can be daunting for some other areas. And it's. I think that's one of the hard parts of planning is – getting everybody to want to come to your meetings. So just keep that in mind. There is, I don't know, somewhere between 40 and 70 people on just about all of those meetings that we we will go to, and we will go to many of them. Um, uh, find a way to keep it interesting, whether that's going to be your radio voice or... Bringing snacks. Oh, okay. Well, she's got a plan. <laughs> Hey, always food got a always plan. works. Food always works, yeah. What are the areas in those meetings that's going to be your all's area of expertise? I mean, for me, it's going to be mostly going to be the layout of whatever the event's going to be. So knowing where all the vendors are, if we're doing something like Route 66 or even the fair, knowing that. and then So you handled the footprint instead of that agency? Well, not always. It's just nice to know because we do have to help print the maps um, and things like that. But sometimes when we're over the radio, certain people don't – they'll call, for instance, with the fair. Kitty Land was the rides and such. So, the, so I really haven't hit on that point yet, but since you're getting into it, explain a little bit about what you mean by being over the radios. Bryn, do you want to fill this one in? And I'm referring to the command post. I would – I guess I would venture to say that being over the radios means, uh, like, the level of situational awareness of what's going on. Like, one person being radioing in to the command post, they have a very limited feel for what's going on. So we have a very diverse 
set of listeners. Yes. What's a command post is what I'm getting at. The, uh, the command post is where all communication gets funneled to as well as all communication gets issued out from and where the uh, decision-making happens based on the information that's coming in. So just like ICS, Incident Command System, and the way things are done for first responders, um, namely for fire and law, as you can see from 9-11 and different wildland fire type situations, we have a central location where everybody will not congregate, but all the information will come through. Yes. So thinking about Skylab, we've got a RV looking situation that has um, a bunch of screens for computers, radio equipment, and usually two people sitting in there deciphering all the radio traffic and helping people communicate to the right sources. Um, and like you said, for Kitty Land, we had a a kid that was lost and we were the central point for communicating boots on the ground and the law enforcement that was on their way and helping people get reunified. So does that sound about right for what your all's perspective on that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just the nicknames that people will call different places and stuff like that, that tends to be the problem of trying to make sure that there is a unified name of when referring to a certain area so that when we dispatch any of the public safety officials, we know where to send them. Common language is a big part of us being able to communicate properly. And the outside organizations or other people such as 911, we don't always use the same language as they do because they have their 10 code and etc so it's a lot easier whenever everybody has the same basis of information the same whenever everybody calls one place the same thing so you're you're new to this and i am the only first responder in the room i was around for 10 codes and how that worked. And that's when I'm sure many of you have heard something like 10-4 or something like that, where people are actually saying a code instead of saying things out loud. I will say that it is easy to use common language, but it also allows and opens the door for a lot of people to get out their daily talking session and clutter up the radio traffic. It is a great thing in our world, but it also, radio traffic is something that needs to be educated upon to make sure people know how to use it. We're not technically supposed to use TIN codes anymore, but I would say if anybody, it is our job to decipher if somebody were to do a TIN code or do something else, we are still responsible. Actually, Brandon, how many different radios or different channels are we monitoring in the middle of, let's say, Ozark Empire Fair? With Ozark Empire Fair, we usually monitor about four to five, but that can be expanded up to eight or nine. Okay, so four to five, all the way up to eight or nine, all that comes through, and then we pick a singular channel and redistribute the information. So 
the communications can be quite a taxing thing. And Brandon, what happens when the communication fails? Uh, everybody gets confused. So what do we do if Skylab goes down? And has that happened before? Or maybe the bank of radios goes down. I don't mean Skylab as a whole. I would say, uh, for whatever reason, we manage a radio cache, but all the batteries are depleted. I would probably like encourage public safety people to prob- to like use their own because the commonality among public safety, specifically in Greene County, is everybody is on the same radio system. So they have access to the same communications pathways that Skylab does. Did anybody else see the mini explosion that just happened inside Brandon's head when I said that the radio went down? Yeah. And going off of Skylab going down like it did last year, there was two events. The Ozark Empire Fair, it went down because of an electrical um, malfunction with backfeeding power into Skylab. Right. So we were down for about half a day, maybe a day, and we were just using the portable radios. So. If, yeah, if the Skylab radios go down specifically, then we, we've switched to portables as a backup because they both use the same radio system. So, And then as well as Route 66 with Skylab again, because of our location, we were between really tall buildings downtown Springfield that Aubrey and I were actually in Skylab uh, for dispatch one night and traffic wasn't coming through the radio at all. But I was out in the field um, using our UTV and I could hear all the traffic, but he wasn't responding back. So I had to end up hurrying up and going right. back to dispatch. So. Brandon will actually remember that night, too, as I called him in at 9 That's a, right. That was 9 the night called me in. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Brandon, tell me the difference, though, on us and dispatch for the whole county when we're doing something like that. Specifically for us, when we're doing a special event, our primary dispatch concern is the footprint of the event. Where dispatch has occupies the second floor of our building, and they are concerned about the entire county, basically all the time. So, so like the like Kenny said, we he'll, would, he'll create maps. Yeah, regarding special events specifically, the nine one one communication center dispatch for the county isolates the area and considers it its own incident in which it would be uh, Skylabs and the local dispatcher's job to funnel information and traffic up to them if need be. But by and large, the dispatchers involved in the the certain location are responsible for dispatch. So So like at the Ozark Empire Fair, all of the incidents that happen on the fairgrounds goes through us. Mm -hmm. Everything else in the county stays with dispatch. Stays with, yeah. That's correct. And if 911 does get a call from the fairgrounds, which has happened, then 911 dispatchers will actually call Skylab's number mm-hmm. so we can dispatch out the everyone. Same with Route 66. Some it's, of the apartments that were downtown it, fell inside the footprint, so we yeah. had to dispatch for them as well. It's a two-way relationship type whenever that happens. Mm-hmm. I've talked specifically to Brandon a lot about this, but... It's mostly because running the command post starts with him. Everything in there is intelligent and communications-based. But, Kenny, from your perspective, what does it take to run a command post, and what are the capabilities within the command post? So 
within our uh, command post, we are monitoring weather, looking at all different kinds of screens, watching the security cameras, uh, keeping track of all of the public safety crews that are actually out in the field, seeing where they're at. Um, if they arrive on an incident, then we'll use Skylab's camera to kind of watch what's going on over there to make sure nothing else is happening. If we need anyone else out there, we can send more people out there. Thinking about what you just said, why, Gretchen, why does the weather matter? Watching the weather is always important. We have several contingency plans for different types of severe weather. For example, a tornado. If it seems like there's going to be a tornado coming towards us in our direction or nearby, we have multiple sheltering spots available. Most of them are in the Eplex, and there are also contingency efforts that will be taken for the grandstand if the wind gets too high. And we have places to put the people just in case. We do have a lot of thresholds that we we look for on weather in those contingency plans. But I'm a firm believer that experience in this instance reigns uh, supreme. Last year I was working with Larry and we all know he's got the experience for all of us. And we had had a very dry, dry couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden we were supposed to get a heavy amount of rain. It never dawned on me, but Larry called up National Weather Service and was talking to them about how because it was so dry and all of a sudden we were supposed to get a lot of rain, it was probably going to flood out the RV and camping area and we needed to be thinking about moving them. So we have great contingency plans, but we also have personnel that have good knowledge of what to do to keep our community members and the patrons of those events safe. So thinking about this, Kenny, because you handle all of the request forms for events as well as small-scale special events that we don't do a lot with, all the way down to cert doing special events with other people what is it what's the difference in planning for a large-scale event say the bass pro fishing fair or the route 66 all the way down to the ms bike ride where cert just needed some supplies that's going to vary a lot of different things so one's going to be definitely the time frame and the prep time that it takes let's start with cert with their organization they'll probably request the most from us in terms of how often they request stuff since we manage a lot of their equipment. For them, for such as the Ozark Empire Fair, it was making sure that they had a lot of the first aid equipment that they needed, the cots, the bandages, stuff like that, which is already prepped up inside of a med kit that you and I have already designed, Aubrey. As you remember that we worked on that last year was the first time that we got to roll that whole kit out. That's when they're using uh, providing first aid for an entire event, correct? Correct. So, and we might resupp- resupply them in the middle of the week as well if they start running out of things, if they if people are getting a lot of scrapes, bruises, uh, we'll supply them with ice packs as needed. Then for the Ozark Empire Fair, they had a building, so we didn't have to worry about setting up any additional tents. Where Route 66, we had to bring out their little pop-up tent, uh, we had to bring out ice chests. We brought out all the medical first aid kits for them. 
and things like that. And then we were also delivering supplies back and forth between the command post and their field post. And then something like the World's Fishing Fair, that took a little bit more. We were going through the command post footprint, seeing that what we needed, if we need to bring in printers, extension cords, any kind of TVs. Uh, Brennan and I also supplied the projector and the projector screen for that, making sure all the maps and stuff were hung up prior to the event start. So that one took about a week's prep ahead of time just to get everything ready and good to go and make sure that the building had electricity if we needed to bring out even portable bathrooms and stuff like that we were considering. Which we don't have all that stuff, but we can still get it. Correct. Not everything we have on hand, but if we have enough lead time, we can get it and get it out there. If not, we're kind of running around uh, trying to grab it. Looking at the processes that we go through, which planning over here, communications and IT and troubleshooting stuff for people that don't use this equipment as often, gathering equipment and communicating with other people to get the resources you need. What, in your all's opinion as this collective group, what makes an event successful? Safety. Overall safety for me, I think, is a really big motivator. Safety of who? Safety of the staff and safety of the people in the community that are there. That's a big part because, you know, we want to put events together and we want them to be fun for the community. And we don't want worry people to worry about, you know, what might happen, right? That's our job. So keeping them safe is the biggest part for me to worry about. I would say from my standpoint, I'd, I'd say a lot of the pre-planning aspect of making sure, okay, hey, here's the lessons learned from the past time we did this event. How can we make it better going in the future? What do what items and equipment do we know we need now? What needs to be updated? What processes do we need to change? Stuff like that. That helps a lot. And, uh, yeah, going off of what Kenny said, uh, as much collaboration as early as possible would be fan- or, uh, is generally a fantastic thing. So when you talk of collaboration with them, what are you looking for? Because we write the plan. For people to anticipate needs ahead of time just more effort in pre-planning if we're all on the same page it makes for a lot easier flow of the event sitting through those events there is a great amount of information that is shared we don't know everything and i can tell you right now there are a lot of people that have the information that we need to go into our plans and for pre-planning and setting things up so that we don't have fail points. As long as people are willing to attend those meetings and share that information and collaborate, like Brandon was saying, then the pre-planning process actually is more successful and we can have a successful event in my opinion so a little bit of everything of what you all were saying there having that whole community safety approach i think i think all of those are valuable pieces to the event process and looking at it from both sides of the coin when i was a first responder and worked for fire worked for ems I didn't really have the same respect for emergency management, but knowing that all the planning that we do made my call volume ultimately less and the amount of things that I had to deal with while I was on shift less, the communication better, and made a much smoother event. So what's the most stressful part of planning a special event? 
I would say the most stressful part is when things come down to like that week before and people will bring up stuff that should have been brought up that three, four weeks prior that we could have handled or they're just finding out now that something's not working or they don't have access to something. Just It could be anything from radios to a vehicle that we were relying on to get stuff somewhere. And stuff happens, we understand. There's can't prevent everything. But that just becomes stressful because now we're trying to figure out, all right, what we didn't have a contingency plan for that because we didn't think that think of everything. So that becomes really stressful. And that's where after action reports come in really handy as well. So we can develop contingency plans for if those situations were to happen again. So that's why that document over there in front of you is about 80 pages? Yep, that's why. We do have many lessons learned. And that was one of my other questions is what kind of lessons learned do you all remember from last year? Mine would probably be uh, expand timelines. There was one thing that I did not allow enough time for. I think it wound up blowing up literally the day before the event. But we, we, we Can you got, elaborate? We the mission. Ah, yes. So, okay. So, we had a batch of old portable radios that were not programmed and updated to the latest system. And I just learned of that probably two weeks before. And I had to scramble and uh, basically arrange for the programming to be done really quickly but it would have been less stressful for everybody because communications affects everybody so it would have been less stressful for everybody if i allowed more time for for those things to play out and now this year that'll probably be the first thing that you check right oh it's already done i would say the lesson that i learned personally was on volunteer management when you have events back to back to back the way we do in this area it's it's pretty hard on your volunteers to run things continuously tensions get high because they're doing things out of the goodness of their heart and then it's it becomes a job so I try to make sure that I spend a little more time showing some appreciation to our volunteers because in our special event season, they are pretty much workers. And that is true. I mean, we had to make sure that they stay happy and everything as well. I mean, we appreciate our volunteers a lot. And, yeah, like you said, our events run back to back to back. Some of them were pulling the same amount of time frame as us working at times for these events. And some of the other things that we just had to keep in mind, too, as we're going forward um, is just what it takes that we have to do with our volunteers as well. I mean, even the volunteer aspect when it comes to these special events is sometimes that we have to make sure that we can get them from wherever they park or anything like that, making sure that they have everything that they need. Because sometimes they're supplying stuff out of their own pocket, and we try to avoid that as much as possible. Well, and as you remember... If we don't have the volunteers, that changes many other things. It has a ripple effect. So uh, we had two stations set up for first aid for volunteers at the Route 66. We weren't able to staff the two stations, and so we shut one of them down and centralized the other. So it created a ripple effect of where people were actually going to be stationed. Mm-hmm. It was a big change to be happening within the last two weeks of the planning process. 
And it was. We had to come up with a backup plan. So we had the main first aid station, and then we ended up making one of the merchandise booths as a backup, which is a smaller first aid kit, just so they'd have something if someone came up to them. Speaking of staffing, and at the same point coming out of COVID, resources become a big thing here. So last year we assisted with the planning and the EAP of the Bass Pro World Fishing Fair. And that one, we didn't necessarily have a big enough first aid or medical component, so we brought in DMAT. Yes, I will accept the buzzer on that one. So the Disaster Medical Assistance Team. And when we do things like that, we have to more or less develop a organizational chart, uh, a hierarchy of how things work. Can anybody speak to how that system works? All right, so we have our command post, which is where all the police chiefs, fire chiefs, and us, and EMS will all be at, listening to all the radios, giving out all the orders. Then we each, from there, we each have the different branches, the EMS branch, law branch, and fire, as well as our own and any other ones that we would need for an event. And then each of those will give out to their different crews that are out in the field. So for Bass Pro, we might have had different areas like a southeast, northeast, stuff like that. Going off a of DMAT, we had them part of the medical branch because of our hospitals at the time with COVID were still kind of overwhelmed and still understaffed. We brought in DMAT to help out in case something happened. They brought in all different kinds of x-ray machines. They had complete field doctors, stuff like that. They had a whole mini hospital actually on site. And they brought in their own component. They had their own planning, their own logistics, and their own communication stuff that they brought in as well. So what's the the point of breaking things down like that? Why do we, for a special event, need to go ahead and use ICS? So the reason we use ICS is for the span and control. That way, each person has no more than anywhere between three and five people that they're communicating with or overseeing or managing. Whereas if you had everyone reporting to one person, you could have 50, 60, if not more people that someone's trying to communicate with and get information where it'll filter up the chain and then it's easier to manage. Using this, uh, using this ICS structure also helps facilitate great communication as well as area mapping, mapping in the uh, incident or in the area. Just... Uh, it's not only a better way to or organize uh, responsibility and accountability, but organize everything around the event, too. Yeah, I remember the footprint for that specific incident or event had many different renditions as we were trying to yes. find a ho cohesive way of shutting down this road so that we can have, you know, uh, pedestrian transport come through here, locking off this roadway so that people, EMS, fire, whoever could be able to get into these locations. This branch should be responsible for this different component. It was, it seemed cumbersome, but it allowed us to have a 
solid knowledge of where things were going, the traffic flow, and how the event was going to run effectively. The Public Information Call Center was also activated at the time, which is um, it was an information center for the public to call in. So there was a number that Bass Pro issued out that actually gave them the telephones directly to our call center, and they could ask about the different parking lots and where to park. That way they'd be shuttled to and from the event, what time the handicap-accessible vans would come in and pick up people, where those shuttles were, what time events and stuff were taking place, anything like that that didn't need to be an emergency or anything like that, they could call in. And we had volunteers running that as well. And our admin side of our office was the ones in charge of that area. It's interesting you bring that up because that effectively changed our footprint. We had the main footprint of where everything was for the event. But then when we had the call center, when we had the bus routes and the different parking lots that were established all throughout the community for where people would be picked up and dropped off at, it effectively changed the area we were monitoring to almost the whole community. Oh, it was. We definitely had the whole community um, mapped out on all the different routes, the parking lots. There was a lot of permissions that had to be uh, given on where to park everyone that weren't normal Bass Pro parking lots or anything like that. It expanded, the event expanded outside of Bass Pro's property. But it also caused other kind of stuff too, because then we had to look at the houses and stuff around there, the times that traffic and stuff was going through. It was still a work week for other people. So making sure we couldn't block off certain roads that people could get to and from their houses as well added a complex. Well, that also made a new contingency plan and a thought process for weather for Gretchen for next year because we had significant amount of rain. We didn't consider parking on the side streets and people were parking in people's front yards. And yes, there was it, there was a whole different set of issues that came with being a basically community-wide event. Yes, and then the amount of calls that came in from generator times and those running all day long and even at night sometimes to keep the security lights on so security could roam around and see everything after hours. That bothered people having this bright super LED light going right into their front room at nighttime because their house is right next to Bass Pro. Not those kind of calls you always want to get. Which event planning, we tend to think of the first response side of things. We don't necessarily think of the calls and the planning component to where people are upset about lights, generators, and people parking in their yards. Mm-hmm. I actually remember driving past this event and driving down the Jefferson Street, which was packed completely with cars on the side of the road in people's front yards. There were signs posted everywhere, don't park here. But it was absolutely a straight line of cars from probably going a mile at least, if not more. So that draws another, like you were saying, contingency plan or you know safety concern. And we don't want the, our community members to be upset with the event and or people who are going to the event because they're parking in their front yard and potentially getting rained in and stuck and ditched. So, 
Well, and this was the second time that they've done the Bass Pro World Fishing Fair. Both times they've had dignitaries coming in either by air or by ground. And what is the logistics and communication side? How does that affect the communications and the logistics side of things when you have dignitaries flying in to the airport? Oh, Lord. Now you're adding. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're just – you created – by having that, so the last time that this was done was back in, I think, I want to say the 1980s is when they first did the World's Fishing Fair. And at that point in time, they had, I think, former presidents, governors, all of that. Well, now you're adding that complexity of having the FBI Secret Service coming down, all of that. And that gets really complicated on locals and working with the federal government because there's certain things they can't talk about just because of their their protocols and things like that. But then trying to make sure everyone's meshing all of the communication aspects that are going to happen at that point and then trying to get people that are that high up going from the airport, getting them to the property without any kind of uh, issues. Yeah. Coordination is key whenever uh, events like that happen. You got to make sure the just the high profile people, mm-hmm. the people that surround those high profile people, communicate effectively and as well as get pointed where they need to go. Yeah. So, and one of the things with Bass Pro too is there was a badge for every possible customer and public safety official. Yes. I think we had about ten, maybe twelve different kind of ID passes yeah, and stuff like that. And some of them were even for going back to the houses. And if they were in those neighborhoods surrounding, they had a pass to put on their cars and stuff like that. You yeah. created badges for people to get to their own house. They had to because we closed off some of the roads. So for the checkpoint purposes, but we knew that they were supposed to be back there. Right. Sounds like, as I wasn't deeply involved with this one, that there was quite a bit that goes into the planning of an event from that size. So today we've talked quite a bit about special events and we're getting ready to come into special event season. As we go through this, we'll come back and we'll reconvene about special events after this year is set. But is there anything else that you all have thoughts on for special events? Not at the moment. I mean, it's mostly just Going back through uh, the after-action reports, looking at the past plans, knowing what what we can improve upon, and then just trying to make the event better for the public and easier for us on the public safety side. Yeah, and having never personally experienced working emergency management in these events, I'm excited to see how it goes. Well, thank you all for being here today. This has been the Hometown Ready Podcast, and we're going to see you next month. Tune in next month for a new discussion in the Hometown Ready Studio, your all-hazards emergency management podcast. But before you leave, don't forget to click on that subscribe button and let us know how you liked today's episode. And as always, be aware and take care. Take care.